The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy, yeah, okay, wait, wait. Let's see how many people grew up in a Presbyterian or congregational background. He is risen. Yes. Now, I didn't know that not all church people did this. So now that you know this, we're going to try it. I'll say he is risen. You say he is risen indeed, because this is why we're here. He is risen. You guys, that was the weakest thing I've heard all morning. The first service less than you did better than that. Ready? Ready? So I don't want the people who are addicted to coffee to outdo you who are addicted to sleep. Okay? He is risen. That's better. That's better. Man, if you are new, welcome. I'm glad you're here. My name is Ryan, and I'm your pastor, and I'm just now realizing that I'm talking fast because I've done a one monster per service thing, but usually it's just one service. So now I've had two monsters and coffee and vegetables, but Jesus is on the throne, and he can draw a straight line with a hyper-energized, crooked thing whenever he wants. So let's pray. We're going to get into today's message, the crowds at the cross. Join me in prayer. God... Lord, we need you to show up here for lives to change. Lord, we need you to show up here because no words can produce lasting change except for your words. Lord, grow our faith. Help us to believe in you with all that is in us. Father, it's, it's your time to be glorified. It is forever for your glory, forever for the fame of Jesus' name. And it's for him and to him we pray, all God's kids said, amen. So we're going to start off today saying God loves you. And as I was praying, I prayed through the church directory. If you're not on the church directory, I did not pray for you. Well, I did, but just via, Lord, pray with those, be with those people who aren't in this directory. And as I was praying, I thought, oh, it'd be cool if I just put in their names. And, and just so you know, that was just, I had a 32-second song clip. So some people wrote me, hey, my name was not in the video. And I wanted to write back and be like, how did you even know? Those were like a tenth of a second long. Because some people went through like, pause, 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 pause. But I want you to know God loves you today. He's not waiting for some future version of you. He loves you right now. He loves you whether you are here and you are portraying an image of perfect, shiny, perfectness of Jesusness. But he also loves you if you're like me and you're here broken, needy, stuck in something. Temptation is abounding. He loves you. God is coming after you today. There are people with fears in this place. God is coming to give you hope today. Some of you may be here because it's your last chance Sunday. You've said, okay, I've, I've, I'm done with this thing. I'm going to give God one more chance. I pray that he finds his way in today. Today we're looking at the crowds at the cross. Some familiar to you maybe. Some maybe unfamiliar. Peter, the apostle of Jesus. We know this guy, right? Peter was like me. We ha he has a condition called foot-in-mouth syndrome. You might be married to a Peter. Peter was always saying things that he shouldn't have been saying. He was brash and bold, and he wanted to do what was right, but he so often did some crazy things. Here's the scene. The night that Jesus is about to be betrayed, they're there having a meal. Everyone thinks it's normal. They're eating their bread. They're reclining. They had no chairs. They'd be reclining at a table. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Something bad's about to go down. And Peter, foot-in-mouth syndrome Peter, says, Lord, that's how I imagine him speaking if he talked in English, which he didn't, I will never leave you. 
I will be here with you no matter what, Jesus, because Peter is that kid. We all know that kid. Unless you are that kid, and you're like, I don't know anybody that's like that, because it's you, the go-getter, the person who, when you need someone to unleash abnormal amount of energy onto a subject, you just let them go, and they just destroy like a pit bull on monster energy drinks, and then you bring in the cleanup crew after them. Some of you have that if you've got multiple kids. I've got Jackson, the thinker, Silas, the protector, Savannah, the destroyer. This is Peter, Savannah, the destroyer. He, he's a protector, but, but he goes in. He, Jesus says on the water, come to me, come on. And Peter just jumps for it. And then he's like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And then he sinks. But that night, Peter said, Lord, I, I will never deny you. And then if you, if you fast forward, they're in the garden. And not only is he not denying Jesus, he's sleeping. Jesus gave them one thing to do. You guys just stay awake and pray because I'm, I'm pouring myself out. He comes back and Peter's sleeping. Comes back and Peter's sleeping. And then Judas comes. And he walks up to Jesus. Gives him a kiss. Rabboni. And then the soldiers swoop in. And who enters the scene next? Good old, bold Peter. Unleashes the sword. Chops off the ear. Jesus picks up the ear and gorilla glues it back to the soldier. But like a Jesus way, like it works. And Jesus says, if you... Live by the sword, you die by the sword, Peter. Put it down. Peter was bold and brash, and then he chopped the ear, and then all of a sudden we know his famous story. He denied three times. Now, Jesus told them, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And Peter was like, not me. Jesus, you know me. I am your favorite child. Although he probably wasn't, but he's the kind of guy who always thinks he's the favorite child. We all know what that's like, right? My little brother's here. He actually is the favorite child. I'm the one that thinks he is. And, Mom, let me know. <laughs> but, but Peter said, I, I would never deny you. And then all of a sudden, deny, deny, deny. The rooster crows. He falls down and weeps. Peter is one of the people at the cross we're going to talk about today. Another one is someone who I think gets no credit at all because there's only a short little passage about him in Mark 14. It says, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen on his body. So here's the scene here. There's these crowds around Jesus. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of the disciples are sleeping. The soldiers are coming. Judas is here. And there's some guy walking around in his jam jams. Okay, that's what the linens were. He's got the Tigger onesie. He's walking around like, what is going on? This is so cool. Look at Jesus praying. And then stuff goes bad. This man in his jam jams, and this is straight God's word, you guys. So don't get mad at me. They seized him when everyone was scattering, but he left his linen cloth and ran away, as the Southerners say, naked. This is in the Bible, okay? This is the crowds at the cross, and then the story just goes on. Now, one of the things that I like to do in my brain is I like to think, what happened before this and what happened after this in the story? Because so often the Bible just leaves me cliffhanging with these moments that I want to know. Like, what happens when the naked guy ran out of breath and then stopped, realized he's naked, and that Jesus was just taken? Like, what, what goes through your mind spiritually when you're like, I'm with Jesus, I'm here in my underwear, man, I don't need anything, and then they goes bad, linen gone, boom, running, I got to get safe, those guys are going to kill me. What happens when you're out of breath and you're at the edge of a town and you're thinking, I got to go get some clothes? Why am I naked? 
What happens when you're Peter and you're on the ground crying because you denied Jesus three times? These are the people at the cross. Now, history tells us, just so you know, this, this naked man was the author, Mark. One of the four Gospels, records of what Jesus did on earth, God said, who do I want to write my book of forever, eternal eternality? The naked guy. Get him on up here. We want this guy that ran away naked to write out this. And I'm going to, you print this forever, eternal unto the dirt. Go. Peter was Mark's source. A tax collector and swindler wrote another one. Jesus is picking people with a very consistent theme in mind. Now, you may be the denier. You may be the brash person, the go-getter. I need you to know that, that God's love for you is not determined by how good you are for him. God's love for you is not determined by how good you are for him, and he's not waiting for you to get good enough so that he can bestow more love upon you. I love the scene after Jesus is buried and risen, and he's having breakfast. He calls Peter out from the waters, and they're having breakfast. And Jesus leans in over the campfire and says, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And it's, it's like Jesus wanted Peter to know that their relationship, even though Peter denied it three times, Jesus wanted to come and reverse that denial. He wanted to say, I want you to know that I'm here. You denied me three times. I'm here for you three times. I love you. I chose you. You are my rock. Could you imagine Jesus calling you the rock that he would build his church on right after you denied him three times? Yet this is the crowd at the cross. And the naked man who lost his pajamas is the crowd at the cross. Some of you are here. You don't have much skin in the game. You're running away from God. You've got nothing left. I need you to know that I, I think some of this metaphor plays in that Jesus came to clothe the naked, not just the physically, those without clothes, but those who have nothing to offer to God. Those who come to God and say, literally, God, I give you nothing because it's all been taken from me or I've left it all behind. I need you. Jesus said, that's who I want. And then we have Pilate, Pontius Pilate. Pilate, the judge, on a holy day was called to release a prisoner but Pilate quizzed Jesus. Some of you are the skeptics. Skeptics are welcome here at the chapel. I love skeptics. I love questions. I love, I love the doubts and the wrestles. Pilate was one of those. And he said to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? As Jesus is there beaten and shackled, are you the king of the Jews, Jesus? And Jesus says, you have said so. And in another account, he says, what, what is truth? Quies veritas. Now, just step back and hit the pause button on the scene. Pilate there Roman soldier, if you watch The Passion, bald head, armor with fake abs because they like to portray a certain type of masculinity back then, quizzing Jesus, the creator of everything, quizzing Jesus, who at that moment is sustaining all life in the universe. Sparrows up, sparrows down, parrots up, parrots down, live, live, die, die, hair down, up, guy, boom, 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 boom. And Pilate says, what, what is truth? Are you the king of the Jews? To Jesus, as Jesus is beaten, bruised, and with shackles. I, I do that thing where I say, I wonder what happens later down the story. I wonder what happened when Pilate saw Jesus and realized who he was talking to. Because Pilate has long seen Jesus now. I wonder, I wonder what happened when Pilate 
was there, and as the Bible says, every knee bows and every tongue confesses, and he gets, whoa, oh no, I, I didn't know. I was asking you what truth is. You, you are the truth. I asked if you were the king of the Jews, but you're the, you're the king of everything. Now, if Jesus had a middle school sensibility about him, which he doesn't, he would have said something like, how do you like me now? But he doesn't. He doesn't think like me. He's not petty and trite. He's loving and gracious. Because he wants the skeptics to know that I'm here to answer your questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Too many times, places like this, churches, we try to stifle down questions. I want you to bring questions up. Bring skepticism up because I know that the truth of God will stand. I'm not afraid. I don't have to defend God. He's a big boy. He will defend himself. But don't let your pilot nature, the nature of questioning things, only be quenched. Know that Jesus looked Pilate in the eyes and said, I'm going to the cross for you too. I'm going to the cross for Mark who ran away. I'm going to the cross for Peter, Peter the denier. I'm going to the cross for this other guy on trial because when Pilate had the choice to re- release one prisoner or the other, one was Jesus, the healer, the lover, the kind and gracious giver and carer of the poor. The other was Barabbas, the rebel the thief, the murderer. And Pilate said, who should I release to the crowds? You guys know the crowd mentality, right? Have you guys been to a sporting event with a team that you have no emotional investment in, but then somewhere in the game you get excited about it and you don't know why? I've done this so many times, and maybe it's just my personality. I have that personality, but I've been at games where I'm like, ooh, I don't even know these teams. I don't even know. And then by the halftime, I'm like, yeah, yeah, go Bucks." I don't know these teams. I mean, I've heard of this team, the Bucks. I don't. They're somewhere like Steelers and Bucks. The Bucks need Jesus. Okay, side note. Okay, moving back. But but I've cheered for them. I've gone to soccer games where I don't know what's going on, and it's not just professional sports. Crowd mentalities are crazy, you guys. Because if you go to little kids' sports, all it takes is one fired-up mom or dad to rally the troops of crazy. And all it took that day were the religious leaders stirring. Jesus, crucify Jesus. We want Jesus. Free Barabbas. And the crowd said, yeah, yeah. Somebody, I heard somebody say, free Barabbas. Free Barabbas. And both of them would have been up there in shackles, bruises, beatings, shackled wrist to wrist, wrist to feet. And Barabbas was that arrogant, murderous thug type. And Jesus was the caregiving person who loved the poor and helped those in need, and they want Barabbas? The Bible doesn't give us much about Barabbas other than the fact that he was freed. The shackles came off, revealing the dirt and the bruise and grimes under his wrist. For the first time, he could move his feet farther than the chain would have allowed him and walk down the stairs. doesn't say if you look back at Jesus. doesn't say that he gave his life to Jesus and turned his ways around. It just says that he was set free And Jesus stood here. Peter denied and denied to get out of of trouble. And Jesus stood there and took lie after lie heaped upon him. Mark ran away to escape. Jesus stood his ground. And, And you may be wondering, why is all this happening? In the book of Acts, it says that in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, 
Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, this is what the Bible says about them, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God's plan was for Jesus to stand there and be condemned to die for you. No matter if you're a denier, a runner, the skeptic, the criminal, the one who is in shackles, this is God's plan A. God did not write a plan B because he never has to. His plan A for you was, I love them so much that I am willing to die in their place. I love them so much that even though Barabbas deserves to be shackled, Jesus will stay shackled so that you could be freed. Some of you know right now, I'm the denier, I'm the runner, I'm the skeptic, I'm the broken criminal, I'm shackled, something has bound me in. Now initially, we go with the crowd. It's the way that we are born. The old heart is a crowd heart, but Jesus gives us a new heart that comes with new affections and new ears to hear his voice, new eyes to see his truths. But look at these people and realize that it's me and it's you. We, we've reduced Christianity to this thing of if I stack up enough good things, God will finally love me. Your stack will never measure up. I love the gifts my children bring me. I love it when they make me Lego creations, except for when they use clear Legos, because I hate clear Legos. They were created by hell and sin. And they draw me these pictures. And the pictures, if you're a parent, you know, like, phase one is scribbled pictures. And then you get it and you realize, I need to go scrub of this off of a table somewhere. Because you see the scribble mark go from the paper off. So you're like, please, Lord, tell me they didn't do that on the wall. And they did half the time. And they give me these Lego creations, and they look at me with their big, precious moment's eyes and say, Daddy, will you keep this forever? And I have this thing about lying to my kids, so I usually say, no, but I love it. Or I'll say, hey, let me take a picture of it so I'll remember it forever. I've got so many pictures of pictures in my phone, pictures of Legos. But those gifts... They're not what make me love my kids. Your best gifts to God, he's not blown away by you. He's not like, oh my goodness, did you see, Bob? They're so amazing. They prayed to me for 30 minutes that day. They went and gave a sandwich to someone. Then they went to a small group, and then they discipled someone. And then they gave up coffee for Lent, which is not even a good thing anyway. It's a bad thing. But then they went to church every day. They never missed a week for an entire year. God's not up in heaven like, whoo, I'm glad I got Bob. Whoo. Yeah, he's not, he's not thinking Bob made his way up, so now he's good. You know what he's thinking? He's looking at Bob when Bob is at the bottom of the barrel, saying, I don't, I don't think my marriage is going to make it. I, I'm sure my kids don't even want to be around me. I've been lying just to keep my job. I can't believe that I can't get over this addiction. It's been so many years that I, I've been turning to this. I've just been turning to this over and over again, and I, I've hidden it all, but now my life seems like it's unraveling. Now my life seems like I can't go anywhere. I'm just stuck in the pit. And that's when God says, hey, Bob, you're mine and I love you. You know why Jesus stayed on the cross? So that your shackles could be freed and 
you could go walk. Do you, do you know what? Even though you said you don't want to believe in me, you know why Jesus stayed up there? Because Peter didn't want to believe either, but Jesus stayed the course for you. And the problem that we have is that so many people start with this love. We start with it. We say, Jesus died on the cross, that's good for me. And then the rest of our life we're saying, but now it's all about self-control, self-preservation, self-help, do better, try harder, pray more. And we think that that's how we grow. And I need to tell you the hardest thing about this Christian faith, the hardest thing is not how disciplined you can be, how focused you can be, how determined you can be. The most difficult thing is believing the good news is that radical every single day. That every single day, whether you're at your highest of highs or lowest of lows, God says, I came for you. I died for you. You are mine. I've adopted you. Your sin can't outrun my blood. Your failures can't outrun my victories because your failures died on the cross. And now you get the victory of Jesus on your behalf. This is the good news, and this is the hardest thing to believe because we are prone to pull up ourselves by our own bootstraps. We are prone and addicted to trying to fix ourselves, fix our spouse, fix our kids. I need you to understand that the urges within us will not be defeated by us alone. The powers of hell will destroy you. Sin will eat you alive on your own, which is why, which is why I love thinking about Jesus, because I've told you, I, I think about what happened after and before stories, because I want to fill in the stories in my brain so I can see the movie, and, and I don't know about you, and it's totally not a movie I recommend, but, but when Jesus died on the cross, and then he rose again three days later, what did he do? He, he went to set the captives free. He went down to hell and Hades where he busted the gates off the hinges like Leonidas, said, Abraham, let's go, guys. And he led the charge to paradise where the thief on the cross was there next to him. And he said, I win. And then we're over here trying to overcome our addiction like, oh, if I could just do this self-help manual a little bit more. No. Jesus needs to come into your life, kick it off the hinges and drag you out of it. Well, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. You go all the way back in the midst of your sin. You say, do you still love me right here, God? Do you still love me when I'm down at the bottom? When I'm lying, when I'm cheating, when I'm puking, when I'm drunk, when I'm sick, when I'm doing any of these things. God, do you still love me right here? God says, I stood on the platform, didn't I? I let the criminal go free so that I could be killed, didn't I? You and me. We are the criminals who deserve to die. Jesus is the one who died instead. And he's so good that he didn't just kick the hinges off the gates of hell just to save you. He did it to save you from every addiction, every wrong affection, every bad decision. And if you think that that his power is only good enough for your salvation, but it's not strong against those other things, you are out of your ever-loving minds. It is the power of God that came to us through Jesus when the curtains were ripped in two and now by faith the Holy Spirit lives in you, this is how we overcome, by believing the good news over and over 
and over again. And I've said this, and some people don't like this, but I need you to hear this. In the midst of your deepest, darkest, most failing moments, thank God that he died for that sin that you're doing. I don't want you to do the sin. Sin breaks, steals, kills, and destroys. But say, thank you that you love me even now. Help me to get the literal hell out of here. Preach that gospel to yourself. Some of you are thinking, I I can't ever go to the cross. I'm too ashamed. Give God, give him your shame. Some people are thinking, "I, I can't do it. I'll be a hypocrite. I'll go back to my sin. He'll be right there waiting. Some of you are thinking, what if I do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing? What if I'm the wrong person? Jesus stands with hand extended saying, I am the right person for you. I cover your brokenness. I will lift you up. And I will not only kick the hinges off the gates of hell for your salvation, I will kick down the addictions, the brokenness, the failures, the shame, and the guilt until all that stands is my radical, vast, deep, high, massive love for you. And then you'll see for the very first time, perhaps, that radical forgiveness feels strange. It feels like it can't be real. Because apart from Christ, it cannot be. Radical forgiveness feels empty because we're so used to busying ourselves with spiritual things that make us feel good. But God's radical forgiveness says, You stand in Christ and in Christ alone because it's all about Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. And everything that you accomplish for God is only through and by and for Jesus. So turn to him and him alone. Believe the gospel that there is a love so radical for you that you could finally stand, look to God, and see his smiling face. Let's pray. Father, you are good and you are kind. And Lord, I I hope that one person today leaves here feeling more loved and knowing just a taste more of how much you love them today than they did when they walked in. Lord, I pray that you would drench hearts today with this unfailing, unrelenting, one-way, undeserved love, and that we would turn to King Jesus as he kicks down the gates of hell for our salvation, and he kicks down the hinges of sin for our addictions and brokenness and failings and shortcomings. Help us come here not as people who have it all together, but as people who are in love with the Savior who had it all together on our behalf. Thank you for staying on the platform so that we could be freed. Thank you for going to the cross and killing our sin nature. Thank you for rising from the dead, giving us hope for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said.